0: Is this on? Everybody hear me okay? All right. Well, let's get started. Let me pray for us as people come in, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that as we uh, gather together, and of course later for worship, that you would be uh, the focus of our attention, that you would be pleased and and glorified through our thoughts, our actions, our conversation with one another. Uh, We ask this all in your Son's name. Amen. Okay, so if you got this, or you don't have this, let me know and I will hand it to you. This is going to be a new handout. This is a supplement. We're supplementing. But we are not getting away from the tree. So, um, if you didn't have a chance to color in your roots, you can still do so today. That's here. Does anybody need that? Okay, good. So, just a little bit of a review, but... We're looking at this tree as sort of the overview of uh, a metaphor for how we think about ministry, and uh, the roots are our what presuppositions. presuppositions. That's right. It's the it's the things that are hidden that we believe about ministry, whether we, we realize it or not. Um, what's and then we have the trunk. What's that? Somebody said principles earlier. Okay. The trunks, our principles, we're going to get to that next week. And then uh, the fruit of the tree, and these are our goals or our purposes. So I've been told I've got to put a date on this thing to finish. So we have four weeks. We're going to be done. June 11th will be the last one here. So we'll finish our presuppositions today. Next week, we'll go into our principles. Um, that might take two weeks. Um, and then we'll go into our, our goals and our purposes. And of course, um, all kinds of fun stuff just keeps piling on here. So get that folder, get that notebook, and, um, and you will be good to go for life. Okay, last week we, we looked at the, the first three presuppositions of God is at work, demographics, and Bible and theology. Um, we talked about how presuppositions affect... The ethos and the practice of ministry. And ethos, a good definition for ethos, is just, what does the room feel like when you come in here? What does this church feel like when you kind of come in here? Uh, Your business or organization, what does that feel like? And all that feeling uh, is really a product of presuppositions of the organization. It's the hidden things. It's what makes you feel nervous in a place. It's what makes you feel like you've got to really, you know, have your, you know, or it's what makes you feel like, hey, you know, I can kind of just hang out. It's, it's the culture of the place. And, and presuppositions affect that. And they ultimately affect our practice as well. So where I want to start before we get into our fourth presupposition, which is the church, we've talked about God at work. God is at work. Demographics, how places are special in particular, and we need to pay attention to those things. And then our Bible and theology, what we, how we interpret Scripture. This gets us to a really, um, really great phrase um, called fixed theology and flexible methodology. Okay, what this means is that so far. We have a theology, which we call Reformed. It's a, it's a way of interpreting this, the Bible that we say is fixed when we go in to do ministry. In other words, it is not changing. Um, it is by grace that you, that you have been saved and this through faith. Not, this is a gift of God, not, not a work from any man so that no one will boast. That is not changing. You know, I just butchered that, that verse. It's something like that. <laughs> What we think about salvation, what we think about who Jesus is, the incarnation of God in the, in the flesh, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, right? God's, God's word to us, all that is fixed for us. Okay, So all, all of a sudden what we're doing, if you haven't noticed this, is we are pigeonholing ourselves to some degree. <clears throat> when you say yes to something, you say no to something else. We talked about that in demographics. If we're going to speak in English, we're saying no to any type of other language at this point. We've got to make decisions, right? <clears throat> well, the same is true with theology. And this may seem... Wait, isn't everybody have, doesn't everybody have a fixed theology when they go into the ministry? No. And you, you know that. But this is all part of a philosophy of ministry to be intentional about what we're doing here. Flexible methodology says, if if we're going to care about demographics, if we're going to care about place, if we want to really care about people and and how ministry is done up in Connecticut versus Fort Worth or Japan, we talked about last week, then the methods of how we dish out that fixed theology must be flexible. And what you maybe have experienced in your lifetime, um, maybe in a church, maybe in an organization, maybe in a ministry somewhere is oftentimes these two things are reversed. You have people that go out, either representatives of the church, um, maybe uh, ministries, um, who say, really, they'll never say this, but really our theology is flexible, but our methods are fixed. And two things are happening. One, it's what we call we're really bending to the culture too much. In other words, we don't want to say the hard stuff. We're going to flex our theology to what, You want to hear. Um, But in order to be successful, productive, in order to be efficient, we're going to take a method that is the same. It's it's it's, you know, it's a square box and we're going to take it everywhere we go. And if you fit in that box, then great. It's going to work out well for you, maybe. But if you don't, we're not interested in you. Go somewhere else. That, That is the framework. Let me be careful about what I'm about to say. That is the framework for most ministries on campus, if you go to the college campus these days. And that really is the framework for a lot of churches today. This doesn't say that we're right. We, we've got it all figured out. It just means we have felt that. Because if you take a methodology and fix it, you are going to abuse people. You're going to hurt them. And and <clears throat> part, part of what we're trying to do here is recognize that that is some of y'all's experience, certainly is some of mine, Um, but the Bible doesn't give us the freedom to just go ahead and fix a method in order to get as many butts in seats, in order to get as many professing Christians. The Bible wants us to care about people, and that takes time. That takes pastoring. That takes a flexible methodology, caring about what... Stories comprise the overall stories of Fort Worthians. When we were, um, I might be jumping ahead in my notes here, but I'm just going to go with it. When we were in Spain, and I'll use another example for a mission trip to Greece that a lot of folks did, um, the, the story of the church in those countries is, if you don't take time to understand it, your ministry will have no fruit whatsoever on that in that place. These are post-Christian cultures. Spain was incredibly eye-opening, which is why it takes so long to do ministry there. I mean, you have missionaries there that are saying we're here for twenty years just to just to kind of plow the field. We're not even get, we're, we we're not even seeding yet, and the reason is is because all of the history of abuse with Franco, the dictator, the Catholic Church. Um, Atrocity after atrocity when politics and the church get in bed with each other, and what that does to people. <clears throat> and what that has done in Spain is it has caused, all, well, it has caused two to three generations now of people who do not want to have anything to do with church, pretty much. So there's, a, there, there's, there's the grandparents who lived under Franco or, or maybe were young, and, and they, you know, church is still important because it's part of the fabric of their culture. But man, I just, I, I'm having a hard time. You know, <clears throat> swallowing what the church has done with the relationship to this dictator, and so to their kids, it wasn't really a big deal to take them to church because of their attitude towards the church. So their kids grow up not really ha- having less and less of a of an imprint of what the church is really about. And you think they're taking their children to church? No, and that's the twenty-something generation that we experience in. Who, who really is a generation completely removed of the, of the church. They're not asking questions, does God exist? But the, the ministry in Spain is actually presenting that question to begin with. Because it is, it, is, it is, and I think this is hard for us, it is hard for us as Americans to understand what it means to be in a post-Christian culture where the church has never ever been a part of your life. It, to say it's irrelevant is to say that <laughs> there's the gas station and there's, there's this church and then there's this you know hardware store. They're all the same thing. Why would I go into the church? There just isn't a category for it. If you take a fixed methodology into that setting, you're going to hurt people even more. And so flexible methodologies say that when you're in Greece, for example... We got we got to back up here. We we've got to we got to go back to gaining trust. And half of the ministry that at least college students when they would go on that trip, what they would do is they would go and pick up trash on the side of the road. Greece is a very <laughs> many places very dirty dirty place. Why would you fund somebody? Even a, even the church over there, there's a really good Reformed church over there. Why would you give money? To have people go pick up trash on the side of the road. Well, obviously, it's not just because we care about pollution. But this this was the the one avenue to begin building trust with people again about the church. Because if you're driving around and you see some foreigner or some person in the church just picking up trash on the side of the road, it's not their trash. It's not their road in one sense. You begin to think, wow, they must really care about this place. They must really care about So what is causing them to do this? Those types of things are the only way at this point where people are actually able to regain conversation um, about what church is about, about what Jesus is about. All right? Um, That just happens to be what it's like there. Um, So we want to have a fixed theology. We, We don't want to water down this message of the gospel, but we want to have flexible methodologies whereas we begin to think about... What are ways to apply the gospel message to people in the the demographic that they're in that they are able to hear it the most? We'll talk about here in a second. You can't answer questions that people are not asking. And that's part of the ministry um, in those places at this time. It's just presenting the questions. So so what this means for us is we, we have a lot of fun here now working within this boundary. What are things that we can do at Fort Worth Pres? What are things that you can do in your home or in your business, even, that gives you this wonderful theology that we talk about, but then it gives you freedom to go and apply it methodologically to people and places? Okay, so we're going to we're going to keep we're gonna talk about that right now, but I want you to be thinking about these things because when we get to the end of this, um, I want you we're going to we're going to we're going to not not today, but you know at the end of this, closer to the June, this is all going to come back together. Okay. Um, I want, I want to hear what are some, what are some ways that we apply this? Okay. So that is, that might be the biggest thing we talk about today. Um, So let's look at that fourth presupposition, the church. And the reason why this is a presupposition is that as, as we've kind of said, not everybody thinks about the church differently. Um, For us, the way I want to put it is the church is the new covenant vehicle for how God is ushering in his kingdom. Another way to put that is the church is the only institution that God has given His authority to to build His kingdom. He has not given it to McDonald's. He has not given it to fill in the blank. The church is that place. And friends, that is not a shared assumption. Um, When we talk about the church as being a presupposition in ministry... This is answering questions like, who goes with me into ministry? Who has the authority to send me into ministry? Who am I accountable to once I go into ministry? What's at stake? Do I go it alone? Or do I see myself connected to the body? What about church membership? What about missions? What about all these branches of the church? Who has the authority to do that? And for a lot of us, that might not be something that we've thought much about, but it also is not something we're ready to fight over. But let's go back to our dem- our demographic of Texans. We talked about possibly the um, the, the area, or, or the, the the one demographic that would that would be a summary of of the culture here is the the rugged, the, the hyper individual. That's what it was. Hi- hyper individual individualistic. Is that what I said? Rugged individualism. Rugged individualism. Nick, so glad you're here. i out. <laughs> rugged individualism. How does rugged individualism mesh with accountability? <laughs> and saying, you don't have authority to go out into Abilene and start a church. You actually have to be sent. That's why a lot of people question whether Presbyterianism works in America, um, let alone Texas, you know. Like, who's going to be willing to do that? And this is where you get the, our Bible church phenomenon, right? This is, all right, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm going to go start my own church. Or, you know, the, the multiple denominations that we see in, a, in other places. I don't like what you're doing. I'm going somewhere else. And that's prevalent in the Presbyterian church as well. But part of our assumption about church is that it has the authority to do this. It's the only institution granted by Jesus to do ministry on this, on this planet. And that's not everybody's assumption. We have guides as well uh, within the church, uh, our our own particular particular denomination, and those guides are the confession that we mentioned. We have a book of church or, church order. Does, have y'all ever sat down and read the book of church order? It's an amazing resource. It really is. It's something that's easily scoffed at, and it's a little dated. But the fact that the church has uh, has this book that guides through even more um, almost non biblical issues, you know, things that would come up more today than anything else. It's extremely helpful. Uh, we have a session. That's our elders and our deacons that uh, take care of um, this place and take care of a lot of the, the ministries of this church, but also govern who is called and sent. Um, that's why we have a session, because we believe that the church um, is the only place that, that is given the authority to do ministry. And that, that, that looks like it's, looks like a session according to First and Second Timothy and Titus. So, again, of course, we could spend a whole day talking about that stuff. The point is is that the church is the new covenant vehicle for how God is ushering in His kingdom. And that's what we believe about it. We don't believe this is a country club. We don't believe that this is um, fill in the blank. This is God's bride for what He is doing in bringing His new covenant to fruition in this world, in this place. Let's move on to the fifth one, the individual. We've talked about this already a little bit. The individual, this is loving people where they are. And when you love people where they are, that destroys resentment. Um, Why should we love people where they are? Because all people are worth loving. This is the Imago Dei. This is the, the, the foundation, the cornerstone For everything that we think about people, humans carry the image of God with them. That alone is reason enough that they deserve respect, love, and and not for us to give, give people dignity, but to affirm it because they are the Imago Dei. Everyone is in a different place, though, concerning their trust and growth in Jesus. Some believe, some do not. And this affects how we reach people and what our expectations are when we reach them. Okay, so grab, grab your hand out for a second. Um, we've talked about this in other Sunday schools. But when we talk about the individual, it's helpful to see how the Bible looks at people. And I think this is also a healthy diagnostic for any church or or ministry or <clears throat> um, even organization. As you look there, you see that the that, that the Bible thinks about people or talks about people really in four categories, and and those two categories run run along either one's relationship to Christ and one's relationship to the church. And so, if we start here in the top left-hand corner. You see that there are people who profess Christ, but who do not belong to a church. Okay? If you move over to the right, these are people who profess Christ and belong to a church. Okay? Probably a lot of people in this room. If we come down to that bottom left, you have people who do not profess Christ and do not belong to a church. Perhaps more your atheistic group of people. um, The Bible would call them pagan. You want to use that word? That's fine. But that's that category. The other category is people who belong to a church but do not profess Christ. And this might be some of our more, we call, liberal denominations who do not preach Christ anymore. But we like the church. We like its social programs. uh, We want to help the poor. uh, We want to feel the community of the church, and so we go. But as far as sin and repentance and Jesus' uh, atonement for my life, we don't really... Don't, that's not really a part of this. Um, okay, so let me stop there for a second. If, if this is true, if we accept this as, as... Okay, yeah, I get behind this. This is kind of how the Bible sees people. Um, how can this be an effective tool for the church or for yourself as you begin to think about the individual and how that affects ministry in the church or ministry in your home or the Bible study you're thinking about leading? Or... Some folks that are going to college, like, what? what, You know, maybe you want to minister to people in your dorm. How would this help that? Don't worry about that. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, your conduct of how you present yourself and the conversations that you have and inside your conversation is, hey, inviting to church. That's simple. Hey, you know, I'm going to to such a poor press. Will you come to church with me? Would you like to come to church on a Sunday as you get to know them? Okay, yeah. I think we're going to have to look at how you're talking about in Spain. Only because I recently ran into someone that was just like, no, don't invite me to church. I don't want to hear it. And so I had to start by making sure that I said, I believe for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and then for this week, she was like, I realized God never left. And so I went a little bit further, you know, and so then maybe next week or the week after I can go on ahead and say, hey you want to come see what I believe, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe she'll be more receptive to it than if I just would have said that a month ago. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And what I hear you saying is maybe we see ourselves and our little world is in this top right corner. Um, But do we, are we willing to say that about Fort Worth? Is there something about, are we, you know, are, are we as tuned in to what's going on here in this city? Uh, or are we just sort of in our own echo chamber, which is a, a hip phrase these days? Um, maybe, maybe Fort Worth is more like this bottom right, or maybe the top left, or maybe it's more like the bottom left. I don't know. Andrew? So I a buddy who would be in the top left corner whose theology is all over the place. And So sometimes it's tempting to want him to come to church so that his theology can be fixed. Uh, But that's not what's going to draw him. And so instead, it's about developing a friendship with him and a relationship and getting him to the point where in the middle of his trials, in the middle of his struggles, he needs Christian fellowship that he doesn't have. And getting to that point and saying, come to the church where where there are other believers who can enter into this with you. And in the back of my mind is, and then your theology gets fixed <laughs> too. Uh, but it changes, the, yeah. it changes the priority of the relationship. You, you realize that just teaching our, our, yeah, teaching to people, just telling them things, isn't going to change their heart. Um, you need, they, 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 they need something a little bit more. Yeah. They need to see that you're in this, not just for some conversion or some type of end. Like You actually care about them. Um, I think that this is so important to younger generations today. we we'll to call them millennials, whatever, whatever. Um, that generation is tired of being taught to. They're tired of being spoken down to. They're tired of this is what you do. And, uh, we have an older generation that this is just how life was for them. And it's not that one's wrong or one's right. It's just different. It's culture. And I think one of the things that the church has got to really do a better job of is bridging those two gaps. And this is one of those areas where I think we can do this really well, is recognize that people are tired of being taught at, at least in younger generations. And instead, this speaks more to the power of discipleship, which is really what Andrew is getting at. Am I selling the long distance to people? You know, if you talk to people in the church in the 50s when Billy Graham would go and do these revivals and people would just be converted immediately, it is so easy to think, why isn't that happening today? And I wish that it was. But That was something God was doing to a particular time and place and culture, and that is not what is happening today. Not that it can't. The, the long distance is where ministry is happening today. Uh, staying with people and, and, and entering their life, um, caring about their story, the individual which is a product of our culture as well, and letting them know that I'm not just here uh, with you as some project. I'm here to actually love you and to be with you and to shepherd you. That's why this church, it, it, one of its primary roles and functions is to be a pastoring, shepherding church. Um, we think that is the one of the biggest responsibilities next to the preaching of the Word and the teaching of God's Word to its people. Um. As a pastor, I would commend this. I'm always doing far more listening than I am teaching or truth telling. Why? Because I've got to find out where people are. And you've got to do the same thing. We've got to put our assumptions on the table and, and allow people uh, the opportunity to affirm or to tell us to throw those assumptions, assumptions away about them. But until we do this, we have no idea what to say or how to say it and that's, that's the individual. That's a presupposition of the individual. And this, this, whole, this whole graph, it, it crosses all the presuppositions, helps us think more critically about that. I think one of the things that this does um, is we can look at this, for example, and we could, we could be strategic about it. We say, look, we're doing a great job, a great job getting the people that would represent the top right corner of this graph. But you know what? We're really not doing a good job getting the left top left corner. And Fort Worth, the demographic of Fort Worth, seems to be a lot of people that believe in God, whether that's cultural or not. Um, they definitely would say they believe in Jesus, but, man, they are just not connected to the church. So what, what things could we start to do that would really focus in on that group of people? What, what ways could we shape the ministries that we have already? Or what new ministries do we need? Or what people feel like, hey, I think God has gifted me to go reach out to these people because this was my experience and I kind of understand that. And, and and how can the church get behind that person or group of people to go and to do that? But the point is, is, until we stop and look at this, we don't even know that this is a problem. We don't even know that, this, that these people groups are missing from the church. Because we're just kind of going through the motions. We're just doing church. We're doing life. And this causes us to stop and pause and look at this. I would take this if I were you, if you're thinking about a neighborhood Bible study or thinking about some type of, maybe something in, in your workforce. And I would look at like, okay... What is the demographic or makeup of the people in this place? And who do I want to be here? And that's going to tailor what it is you're going to say to them. It's going to tailor what this is going to look like. Um, Maybe it means that, you know what, for the first year or two, we just open the house up and have food and get to know each other. And immediately we want to say, well, wait a minute now. You've got to get to Jesus, right? You've got to get to the word of God. And you do. But look. I mean, Jesus didn't... We're going to look at this in a second. Jesus didn't just immediately go right into people's lives and say, repent and believe now, now. He did to some people, but He didn't do it to everybody. And there's freedom there for us to begin the process of saying, all right, I want to be intentional about what it looks like to bring people into uh, the community of God. And this gets to... This is not on your sheet, but this gets into this category that we call side doors. We haven't talked about avenues yet. Um so when we when we we'll get the avenues uh, probably next week or two weeks from now. But avenues are just all right. Here's what we're going to teach. Here's what we're going to do. What are the ways we're going to do it? And we tend to operate out of three avenues, which is large group. What we're about to do in a few minutes in the worship hall, you know, sanctuary. Uh, we have small group ministry. That's the second avenue. So we want to break that down and we want to get people together. Um, that's an avenue. And then there's the one-on-one pastoring. Um, Different thing. We need all three. The different things happen in all those avenues. Um, so along with avenues, though, you think critically about what are people ready for. And some people, like in this top right-hand corner, they are absolutely ready to come through these doors, to come sit in here with you, and to go sit in that worship service and be awed by Jacob Tilton. Right? That's what they're, that's what they're able, to, able and ready to do. Right? They know church. They know the, the, the culture of it. They're probably coming from a church, and they're looking for something more. Right, but if we 're going to try to bring in certainly those bottom two categories, but maybe maybe the maybe maybe the the the, the top and bottom left hand category, um, this is something that we 've got to be really intentional about and a side door is saying that person might not be ready for that that worship service, and that 's okay, I'm not saying don 't invite them, but they may need a step in between they may need to, to kind of come in and feel out who these people are um, they may need uh, to come in and, and yeah, you know, they've been burned before, so I'm just gonna take take my time here, okay? Um and I happen to believe that's where a lot of people are today. What are side doors of this church? It so administrates we the school. elementary school is because they talk to families and they go into the elementary school? Because I know they go meet with the parents, okay? Uh you're talking about kids' hope? Kids hope, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I only, only thing I would say against that is that that, that is a mission of the of, of, or or a, 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 a program of the church um, hold that thought and I'll get my words together but yes about inmates who, that we go send people out to jail houses and they come to church Good. same thing Th- these are these are more programs of outreach talking I'm talking about bringing people in Andrew Yes. Pub night. Poker night. Yeah. Now we can do better than that, but that's that's what, you know, that's what we that's what we do with some guys. Girls do what? What, what do y'all do? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like there's, there's there there and there, there should be some criticism and um, let's let, you know let's let's scrutinize this. There's been a lot of question about why in the world do we have a poker night? And that's right. We should have that conversation. Um, why do guys or girls get together and we do things like pub night and talk? Is that okay? Um, what I hope we're thinking about those things is it's not just for you and I to get together, which, is, which partly it is. Like I want to hang out with Nick sometimes. But I hope that, that, that when we go and do things like that, we recognize how much easier it is to bring people who are not part of the church culture to get into your life and you to get into theirs. Yes. Christmas service, which is so absolutely, incredibly beautiful. It is. That is a, I'm very comfortable inviting friends to come to that. That actually is, a, is an amazing side door in this, in this church. You see tons of people show up for it because it's just good. Yeah. I would even add our Monday, Thursday service to that, or no, our, our, um, our Good Friday service mm-hmm. to that. Um, yeah. Uh, um, maybe once a year we do a block party. And we invite all these are close. Um, another family, the other Christians are close, but there's also several neighbors that come. And so some of our church
1: culture is present there. Of course, trying to build the friendships. there. Yeah.
0: And doing it through an avenue that isn't necessarily an institutionalized program. Uh, but it's a place where it's easy. It's, it's a bridge, right? Um, some of you all maybe, maybe you enjoy board games. Like I love backgammon, right? And, and maybe I find somebody that likes to play backgammon and, uh, maybe you like bocce ball or maybe you like, uh, there was a, a, a quilting ministry at the church I was a part of before. And I had no idea what that's about, but it sounds really cool. They all get together and they sit around a circle and they quilt, because it's just one of those activities that you can do while talking. The point is, is, are you thinking about the things that you enjoy, not just for yourself, but for other people? Are you thinking about the way God has gifted you and the talents that you have and the things that, that make you who you are? And not just using them for yourself, but using them for other people. And maybe for some of us, it's just on a one-person basis, and that is fine. There's no quota here that we're trying to reach as far as getting people into these places. But I think too often we, we, we spend so much time trying to figure out what can I do for the kingdom? What can I do to reach people in places when God has given you the answer right there? You love golf. Invite them to go golf. You love movies. Invite somebody to come watch a movie with you and talk about it. <clears throat> you love making food. Hospitality is probably one of the easiest ones uh, that, that we have. Make a meal for somebody. These are side doors, and we need to be so creative about them but also intentional about them. Um, and this is part of the flexible methodology part. Um, that, that if we're, you know, think about what would happen if our church was all, constantly and intentionally thinking about side doors for people. Which means we're thinking about the people in our neighborhoods. We're thinking about the people in this city. And we're wondering, what do they need? Where are they? What questions are they not asking yet? And how do we get them to a place where I can learn about them to ask those questions? To get them to ask those questions. And non-threatening uh, uh, ways. So, all right, I think I've done enough for that, that topic quickly. The last one is the learning process. And um, all I really want to say about this is that how we learn matters because this shapes how we think about equipping our people. Um, learning is so much more than content dump. And if we have educators in the room, you know, that this is true. Um, you know, in this, for example, are we going to be a church that just lectures at people, um, you know that that's going to be our main mode of of, of teaching, or are we going to um, you know get into the digital age and think about that? I don't know. Um, that's all under a philosophy of ministry. If you think about uh, who some of your best educators are or were growing up, why why was that the case? And and if I think about one or two of mine, um, it had to do with some w- w- with, with, with holding to some form of the learning process, which in general is described as you, know, you teach something, you demonstrate it, you do some observing, you, then you, you get that evaluated, and then you, then you get some encouragement to try it again. And oftentimes what happens, especially in the church, is we get the teaching thing done really well, but then we get to the demonstration part, and it stops. Why does it stop? Time. It takes so much time to take somebody by the hand and demonstrate to them how this is done. I'm guilty of it. Maybe you are. I won't look at you. But we all know that it's so much easier just to do this. Let me talk to you and then go. But how much better would it be for you and I to go and sit together and like, let's go talk about a side door that we're going to create this next weekend for people in your neighborhood and let's go do that. And how, how much better would it be for you to like send, send next to me or somebody who has maybe done this before and starts asking people questions about their life and somehow next thing you know, we're talking about Jesus. Like, I just need to hear people do that. Um, I don't just wake up one day and I'm able to do that. Um, that's demonstration. Then, then Then the ability to have somebody observe you do this, evaluate that. Boy, this is so much time. <laughs> and then encouragement? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? But you know and I know that, that when it comes to learning, uh, this is how it happens. There's a process to this. And we you know, we aren't going to get this perfectly, but we've got to be intentional about how we do this throughout our educational programs, uh, how we think about things. Um, uh, one, one pastor says it this way. Um, he says... As we've said before, you can't answer questions from people that uh, they aren't asking. And this means that our bottom line for us is not our performance or even our kids' performance. I'll add that. But are they learning? Are they learning? And it would be helpful for me, and it is always helpful for me, to think about the proportion of how much teaching is going on versus demonstrating. You know, am I just a guy that sits in the office and reads a book? And never ever goes out into the mission field, and never ever goes out into a place to t- hopefully just, if anything else, just model that I actually believe this stuff <laughs> that I'm teaching. Um, and, and the same is true for you all. Um, think about that, and and allow that to shape the way that you do ministry. Okay, so we didn't get time for this, but here's your homework. I'm, we're going to talk about this first thing next week. Write write this down. I want you to go home over the week. I want you to write. I want you to read Acts chapter 13. Verses 16 to 41. Acts 13. Let's say 16 to 41. And then I want you to read Acts 17. let we'll Let's do 16 to 34. <clears throat> and here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull all these presuppositions together as you read those two stories. Two different stories different accounts. Um, I want you to think about how God's at work. I want you to think about how demographics are ta- being taken into consideration in both of these accounts uh, by, by the author. I want you to think about what's being said. This is Paul in two different settings. I want you to take note of how he's talking. Why is he talking one way to one group and one way to the other? Um, I want you to think about fixed theology and flexible methodology. What are the flexible methodologies that Paul is using in these two texts? Um, all this stuff. And this is where we're going to start next week. Uh, and then we'll get into the principles, which will... The, the presuppositions are always what take the, the longest, but they're, to me, they're the most fun. So let me pray for us, and we will dismiss. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word and to have the freedom to think critically about how to use it and um, how to care for people with it. And would you continue uh, to shape us and to teach us and give us your wisdom as we think about that. For this place, for our homes and our workforces, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.